Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska Native people are celebrating 50 years of advocacy by the largest statewide Native organization, the Alaska Federation of Natives. They're reflecting on the challenges and successes seen in their communities in the last five decades. Native leaders are among those working locally, statewide, and nationally to make positive changes in their communities. The gap between who we are and those who at one time oppressed us and now seek to find ways to embrace us as we reach out to them. People are not only reflecting on the past, but are today renewing their commitment to enhance the future for their people. Join us as we talk to some leaders about the work being done today to ensure a bright future for generations to come, right after the AFN News Update. Reporting from the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Fairbanks, I'm Zachariah Hughes. On the first official day of AFN, the Carlson Center was lit up by the keynote address. It started off with remarks from Athabascan elder Emil Noti, who observed how far the convention has come in its 50 years. The story of land claims is a story of sacrifice on the part of so many people who participated in early days. Noti's speech was a methodical history of the who's and the how's behind the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. That was hardly the style of the second speaker, brought on stage by AFN co-chair Anna Hoffman. The next person that is going to address you is identified in our agenda as an emerging Native leader. I would argue that she has fully emerged. 33-year-old Megan Alvana Stimfel grew up in Nome. After college and graduate school in Washington, D.C., she spent several years working as a legislative aide to Senator Lisa Murkowski. Alvana Stimfel's 40-minute speech ricocheted between policy, politics, and the personal. I'm a King Islander. The strength of my identity has survived colonization by the U.S. government. It has survived the forced relocation from our island. Alvana Stimfel's address acknowledged the legacy of gains made by organizations like AFN, while also making controversial calls for policies that would collapse divisions between corporate and community institutions. Those included a request for ANCSA corporations to reconsider not allotting shares to so-called afterborns, as well as ceding state and corporate powers to local governments. We must be able to question leadership without fear of losing our campsites, of those managing our lands. We need to pay attention to how corporations organize their voting, because those in power will change the rules to stay in power. A consistent theme throughout the speech was the need for Alaska Natives to become more directly involved in the state's social and political institutions, schools, village corporations, and especially state government. Alvana Stimfel drew wide applause with calls to indigenize institutions that have historically pushed a colonial agenda. One of the last recommendations offered was for a candidate training center at AFN each year to prepare Alaska Natives to run for state office. Because it's up to all of you to change our state. Summing up just after the keynotes, Lieutenant Governor Byron Malott said the speakers represented two of the year's main themes of reflect, refresh, and renew. Noti reflected, and Alvana Stimple refreshed. 
Later in the day, artist Susie Silluk read a letter to the full conference on the negative effects Alaska Native carvers are beginning to see from state-level bans on ivory. It was the topic of an official field hearing held by Senator Dan Sullivan, who convened a panel of experts, including Dr. Rosita Worrell, for testimony on the legality and effects of such bans. Suppression of the ivory market will be devastating to Alaska Native hunters, craftspeople, and artisans. Regional leaders from the North Slope and Bering Strait regions say that the bans in California and New Jersey are leading to confusion and prompting a drop in sales, as well as unlawful confiscations of walrus ivory products. That, in turn, is expected to begin hurting rural Alaska's already weak cash economies. Sullivan took recommendations from those who spoke that he says he'll bring up with federal partners and conservation groups. The conference's main program wrapped up with a discussion of lands into trust by a panel of experts and an open conversation about how tribes in Alaska should proceed with potential claims. Larry Roberts, an assistant secretary for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, says it's an exciting time for tribes in Alaska to have a landed trust option and be able to observe models that have worked in the lower 48. And so I would say the vast majority of the applications that we have approved during this administration have been more in those rural areas. In a panel filled with representatives from the federal and state governments, along with attorneys and activists, many noted that the most significant part of the discussion was that it was happening at all, and so diplomatically. Reporting from AFN, I'm Zachariah Hughes. The AFN Newscast is a production of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation and Native Voice One. Funding provided by the Siri Foundation, Chalista Corporation, the Atwood Foundation, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, ConocoPhillips, Manilik Association, Rasmussen Foundation, and South Central Foundation. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice from the Carlson Center in Fairbanks. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska Native people from rural and urban areas from across the state are gathered together to discuss challenges and explore ways to improve the lives of people in their communities, from environmental protection to hunting and fishing to social issues. They're reflecting on the past and looking to the future. So today, joining me today to talk about um, emerging leaders and some of the issues that um, both uh, seasoned leaders and upcoming leaders are discussing this week is uh, Michiana Hutcherson and Greg Brindhurst. Uh, Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you Uh, you for having us. Yeah, sure. So please introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, My name is Michiana Hutcherson, and I'm the emerging leader on the Executive Council for Clinton and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. And Greg? I'm Greg Bringhurst. I'm uh, born and raised here in Fairbanks uh, from the Doyon region. I'm a tribal member of Rampart Village, and I currently am working for Senator Lisa Murkowski in Washington, D.C., but I'm happy to be home in Fairbanks and participate in everything that's going on, see a lot of old friends and everything. So thanks for having me. Great. And so, um, Greg, <coughs> tell me a little bit about why you see it's important for younger generations to start learning about these issues and um, learning from seasoned leaders. I don't think it's any time for a young person to get involved and start learning is early enough. Um, I think that it's really important for the older generation or even leaders or, you know, mid-30s, 40s, whatever, to start grabbing young people and saying, hey, you can participate. You can be part of the story, part of the conversation. Um, I think that uh, getting involved here at a 
function like AFN is extremely important just because you need to start hearing the words that you might not be familiar with, identifying, you know, what that means, what's really the story that's going on, what's other people's in the states understanding of what's going on and uh, the issues that are out there in front of us because before you know it, you're the one in those shoes. And um, how did you get involved in leadership roles? Um, I've been involved in leadership roles since a very young age. Um, I started out in a dance group, a traditional dance group down in Juneau, Alaska, where we were taught the values of leadership and where those values fit in with our tribal values. And so it's kind of been ingrained in me to take on these roles as I continue on through life. And I think, as Greg was saying, there's no age that's young enough to get involved in these things because we are going to fill these shoes that we see up on the stage before us. And it's coming up quick and there are big issues that are going to be on our shoulders to carry on. And how old were you when you started getting involved with the dance group? Uh, seven years old, actually, so it's a very, very prime time to kind of pluck me up and put me into those shoes, and I appreciate it very much because, you know, even if you're not really paying attention at that age, there are seeds that are planted that you, that come into play later on as you grow up, and you're like, okay, that's why these leaders were doing that, that's why they were teaching me this way, and they're things that carry you on through almost any experience that you encounter. And uh, Greg, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you um, become who you are today? Um, well, a lot of my kind of past kind of put me on this trajectory to to want to learn, but it didn't come until I was, you know, high school or into college where I really took a look at myself and where I wanted to go. And uh, started looking for opportunities to get involved here in Fairbanks. I uh, started getting involved with a lot of, you know, up at school, community groups, uh, started serving on a couple local boards, and I think people started recognizing that, uh, you know, oh, I wanted to participate. So I, I looked for some opportunities, uh, and <laughs> I didn't really have the courage or thought I can really be selected to uh, be part of these programs so I applied for one fellowship that took me to Juneau to work with the state legislature that really opened up my eyes to a lot of things uh, I applied for a leadership program that my uh, native corporation does here uh, that um, really works on personal development and not only so teaching you how to you know do some business and stuff but also looking at you and looking at some personal issues you may have, working through a lot of things and just, uh, I don't think that a lot of our young people today know that they can actually get out and participate. They might see a program, a poster on the wall in their village or wherever, but they say, oh, that's maybe not for me. I think that uh, we need to start telling our youth that this is for you. You can be a part of these things that you see out there. They're there for you. You know, and, and that's kind of, I don't think I had that person when I was a young per person kind of telling me, hey, you know, go get involved in this or whatever. I kind of had to find it a little bit on my own. I mean, I did have my role models and uh, some mentors along the way that I was really blessed to have. But uh, but I think uh, my journey, it started a little late, but I'm really, really playing catch up. And you're, <laughs> yeah. and you're still young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I've youth at heart, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Michiana, um, what are some of the programs that helped you um, along the way? 
Um, I would say that the Early Scholars Program at Juno Douglas High School really got me involved in some things. Um, it's a program focused on uh, indigenous youth in our community and educating them on their actual history rather than just what we're presented in, you know, mainstream textbooks. And then from there, through my education at Haskell University, I was introduced to the Native American Journalist Association, which was life-changing. That really opened my eyes to a lot of things as well, and working in broadcasting. And that's the thing about emerging leadership, I think, is that a lot of people think that you have to go on this path of tribal government and that, you know, if you're not into policy making, if you're not into being a politician, then you can't make a difference when it's quite the contrary. We need to have emerging leaders in every field that Native Americans are involved in because I don't think we have enough faces in the media. And to get that out there is another avenue to have our faces introduced to the world. Definitely, and especially when you look at news coverage from non-native media, when you look at mainstream media, how people are being portrayed, Absolutely. and even if there's any interest in, in Native American or Alaska Native issues. And I think that's true kind of for all sectors, is that the more we put people out there and support their interests, you know, the more we're going to have an impact in different communities and different sectors, kind of areas and arenas of of, you know, we have so many, and I'm sure you can agree that so many young, innovative people, Alaska Native youth up here in Alaska that are doing so much cool stuff, and if we just encourage them, highlight them, get involved in different places, it just makes us all shine. <laughs> and uh, going along with young people and bringing up young people and focusing on young leaders is the conference that takes place annually right before the Alaska Federation of Natives is the Elders and Youth Conference. And this year, they every year they have a, a elder keynote and a youth keynote. And this year, I, I, I found it fascinating and great that an 11-year-old girl was the keynote. Wow. Okay. Well, we, we, we have, a, we have some, um, some, some of her speech, and we're, we're having a little technical problem, so we're going to come back to that. But um, just your thoughts on an 11-year-old getting in front of Courage. hundreds and hundreds of people that were at Elders and Youth Conference, um, and she had such composure. Courage. That was, that was impressive. I, think, <laughs> I don't even know that I would be able to do that at my age, so I was very humbled by that, and... You know, that's the thing about young leaders is they can inspire us. They can inspire our elders. And it's this kind of circular relationship that they need to be reminded of that they are just as powerful as our elders. Yeah. And, uh, Greg, your thoughts? Because I was thinking when she was up there speaking that, what was I doing when I was 11 years old? I wasn't a keynote speaker at a, at a statewide conference. Yeah. I was probably at home playing with my dolls. I think just courage. You know, it's just, and it's encouraging, just as you said, for us to see that. I think today is a little different than maybe when, when I was an 11-year-old, but uh, just being able to see you know, the support around a person like that. What do they say? You need five uh, really supportive folks around you. So it, it just makes you want to encourage the fabric of people around our youth to be stronger. 
All right, well, let's hear a little bit from the keynote speaker. Chmai, Hui, Joan, Inga Bernowski. Our people have been here for over 7,000 years. We have adapted to survive and prosper on our island and around Alaska. Not do only legends and stories tell us about history, but archaeologists have found evidence that my ancestors have hunted and fished on the land and waters where my family still lives today. The ties to our homeland are strong and they bind us to the land because we are the land. I recently read a quote my mom shared with me that has inspired me to become a stronger Native woman, be a linguist and learn your language, be a historian and learn your history, be an ethnobotanist and learn how your culture uses plants. Be the reason why your culture survives and thrives. And that was a youth the keynote speaker, Joan Barnowski, 11 years old, who was speaking at the Elders and Youth Conference. And she just touched on what we were talking about that Michiana was saying, is that Native people need to be in all levels of um, business and also being at home, you know, being being a mother, being a father, that's also important. Uh, your your thoughts when you when you were listening to what she had to say? Well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, just as the panel was speaking before this, they were talking about Indian child welfare, and we do need strong parental figures. We need traditional knowledge, like the educational panel was speaking about yesterday. You know, we have to have all of these pieces, and part of bringing up these emerging leaders is to... Uh, raise the fabric of who we are and reverse some of the damage that's been done over history and that includes the family unit that includes our traditional ecological knowledge that includes um, how we represent ourselves to others and Greg do you have anything to add I'm just inspired by hearing if I heard that uh, (laughs) that recording earlier I'd say no way that's an 11 year old just so impressed And there's a lot of people, young people, that we talked to this week. Um, We also got a chance to uh, catch up with Esau Sanuk, and he grew up in uh, Shishmaraf, a tiny village on the island of the west coast of, or on the coast of western Alaska. And he's studying tribal management and rural development at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, where this past July he was awarded the White House Champions of Change for Climate Equality. And uh, he's 18 years old, and he told our, em- our producer, Emily Schwing, that he has big plans for the future. By the year 2030, I hope, I hope to run for governor of Alaska, and with that, I want to implement uh, renewable energy jobs all across the state and try and implement a, a grid of renewable energies in the rural communities so that we can run off 100% rural uh, renewable energies in the future. So uh, we need to transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. We need the problem that I see in rural, rural Alaska to be fixed or to be addressed. I need climate change issues, climate change addressed in the state of Alaska. I need to make a climate change cabinet in our current uh, state government. And I really want to be the forefront of that. I want to be the leader in that. I want to help make that all, all that happen. Have you talked to other people, you know, in politics about your ideas? I talked to Secretary Sally Jewell, to President Obama, to uh, Governor Bill Walker, to Lieutenant Governor Byron Malott. So I talked to all these influential people, and I really like meeting these type of people because they're our current leaders right now, and what they 
plan right now is what our future will be shaped into and it's not going to be their future, it's going to be our future. So I think it's really important to talk to these people about our issues, about what we see and um, get those issues fixed because it's going to be our future. So you've talked to everyone from, you know, the lieutenant governor all the way up the ladder to the president. Um, did you feel like they heard what you had to say? Well, this past week I just received a letter from the president about all the great work I'm doing about the award that I just received back in July. And um, I think that my voice, my opinions is being heard and I really would want to keep on addressing those. I really want to be the voice for my community to be the outspoken leader because we need those type of people. And uh, I think that I'm setting a great example for Shishmaraf, but also the state of Alaska by being a voice that needs to be heard. And that was a young man, 18 years old, who um, who has it in his uh, his goal to to become a future leader here in the state of Alaska. And in Alaska, um, Lieutenant Governor Byron Malat is helping influence that as being an Alaska native yeah. in the leadership role. Um, Greg, your thoughts when you were hearing him speak? I I, I actually got the chance in Washington D.C. to go visit. He saw at the White House and, and see him accept his award, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, and uh, just hearing him speak there, uh, he noted that you need all kinds of people. You need that individual that's going to be there and be outspoken. But you also need the people that are behind the scenes kind of cranking through things, making things work. So we need all kinds of people, and he noted that. Um, I think, you know, his mention of Byron, which he spoke about, uh, last night I was having a conversation with some friends that, you know, we see these pictures of them while they were really advocating for the land claims in Alaska, in Washington, D.C., and sitting at the table there as 20-year-olds, not 21-year-old, 22-year-olds, and thinking, what courage did they have back then to do that and go thousands of miles away to Congress to advocate for these things? And it, they're still inspiring us to the, this day with those pictures. And just to hear him, uh, Isa, speak about that is is. I say keep it up. <laughs> keep up the good work. <laughs> Michiana? I, I'm totally inspired by his speech. And, you know, just sitting here listening, I think it's so awesome to hear about Native Americans that are in the field that are that's going to get us away from fossil fuels, from that antiquated system. Because, you know, not only is he outspoken enough to actually get this done and he's inspiring to listen to, We've been stewards of the land since time immemorial, so this is nothing new to us. This is something that we are absolutely on the forefront of and have the the wherewithal and the know-how to do. And so that just that really inspires me as well. And something that takes place at these um, events, uh, the Elders and Youth Conference and uh, AFN, is you are hearing from leaders from all over, not just Alaska, but you have a lot of government-to-government uh, -government, um uh, trust responsibility, people coming in on all levels from local to federal and also tribal leaders. There are tribal leaders at these events who come from Hawaii, New Zealand, uh, a lot of tribes from um, the lower 48. And we got a chance to talk or er, uh, on the podium, excuse me, was uh, the chairman of the Yakima Nation. And he was honored by the AFN for his help um, in funding organizations when it comes you know, dating back a long time ago, and he was presented with um, an award. I'm an advocate of understanding who we are collectively. Shinamonisha, 
Who are you? Manak Nik where do you come from? Because it is only in the pursuit of these answers that we will understand where we are going collectively as peoples, as nations, in our relationship with our lands, our waters, our ceremonies, our language, and those things that which sustain our existence. And that was Chairman uh, Jody Gotti from the Yakima Nation in Washington, and he was uh, speaking here at the AFN convention. And Greg, why is it important to learn from other indigenous people worldwide? Well, I think uh, I think you hit something on the head, nail on the head, that saying uh, kind of this is an opportunity to hear from folks from all over the place. And where else do you have a convention like this that's so unique in that we have people in health, in business, tribal, state, federal, uh, people working social services, all kinds of sectors to really just come together and talk about issues that are before us. It's a very unique uh, convention. I think it's important to have people and invite them from different areas of the country because, like I said, I think in the beginning, is you need to expand your horizons and learn from each other, uh, people that are around you, and that's worldwide. And we have young people in Alaska that are working nationwide and worldwide, uh, and it's just wonderful to see, and people outside notice it. That's why they're here to talk to us. So. And uh, Michiana, yeah. you went to Haskell Indian Nations University, which um, represents a number of tribes across the country, more than 100 tribes. So you had a chance to interact with people from all over. What, was, what do you see as a benefit of that? Well, I was actually really happy to see the chairman of the Yakima Nation here yesterday because I do have some Yakima friends that I met at Haskell. And just having that collective input and being able to come together on our understandings of what our issues are from our separate tribes and how we can leverage them to work for our tribes. It's it's amazing to see that collaboration and to see what we have in common. And when it comes down to it, you know, we have each other's backs on issues like Standing Rock, which right now is huge. That's that's a worldwide movement right now, and it wouldn't be happening if we weren't there for each other in that way. And uh, another uh, leader that was here is a national leader, uh, Brian Cladisby. He is the president of the National Congress of American Indians, and they also work in collaboration with uh, native groups and tribes across the country. And he was here uh, talking about um, some of the challenges and, like you were saying, how uh, issues are similar. Okay, we'll we'll get back to Brian in just a minute, but um, uh, uh, Michiana, um, you were just talking a little bit about um, recognizing him because of being at Haskell, and it, that's a funny thing about um, Native people is we all mm-hmm. have a connection, no matter how you know, like uh, tribes, people who come from other tribes, other nations, no matter where they are in the world, can recognize, oh, there's something with water. Oh, they're mm-hmm. having something, you know, with education, health care, um, housing, whatever issues, because they're facing similar things back home. And so it's an opportunity to look and examine, oh, well, this is how we handled hou- our housing issue. Um, Greg, your thoughts on them? Oh, I definitely agree. You know, I had an uh, opportunity to go outside and spend some time when I was in school uh, a <laughs> while back. Uh, going to school in uh, Hawaii and learning a lot from the uh, Hawaiian and indigenous people over there and it was just wonderful. I I remember I had an instructor that 
brought me out and taught me how to do some uh, traditional fishing out in the bay there. And it's just an opportunity that I had that I never really forgot. And just to hear him talk about some of the challenges that were happening with him over in Hawaii and uh, with their fishing and things and really comparing them to some things that we're doing here in Alaska and being able to identify with each other. I think it's a bond that you can't really put, uh, that it's just kind of established, that you really can't put too much uh, thought into. It's just there. So, uh, Michiana, are there any kind of lessons you learned or any kind of, um, I guess, connections that you took away from your time at Haskell being around other people, other tribal nations? Well, being from Alaska and from a small town in Alaska, it was quite an experience to go to Haskell and to be thrown into this culture shock of, I didn't even really recognize how many other tribes were out there. And that's kind of sad to admit, but it's the truth. And so having that exposure and hearing for the first time that we did have all of these things in common was like Greg said, an experience that I'll never forget. And it's a connection on a level that you don't find with anybody else. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Alaska's Native Voice. Welcome back to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez, and we are broadcasting from the Carlson Center in Fairbanks, and we're talking about leadership and emerging leaders. And right before the break, um, we were talking a little bit about the connections between tribal people and how that how we are helping each other and learning from one another. And joining me today are two guests. Welcome back to Alaska's Native Voice. And just a uh, quick Please introduce your, reintroduce yourself to those who are just joining us. All right. I'm Michiane Hutcherson, and I'm the emerging leader for Clinton and Haida Central Council of Alaska. I'm Greg Bringhurst uh, from Fairbanks, Alaska, and I'm currently working for U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski. Oh, great. Well, thank you for uh, joining us today. And right before the break, we were going to listen to another uh, national leader, Brian Cladisby, who's the president of the National Congress of American Indians. Well, I've been blessed by the ability to travel all over this nation. I just spent seven days in Phoenix last week. I was just in Umatilla, Oregon uh, this week. Now I'm in Fairbanks, Alaska, and Sunday I'll be in North Carolina. So I get the opportunity to travel across the nation and meet with some amazing tribes, tribal councils, and tribal leaders. And as I travel throughout the nation, the issues are the same. You know, they, they want a safe place for their kids to grow up. They want their kids to have a good education. They want their kids to have a safe environment to be able to learn uh, in a good way. And they want to have homes. And they want to have running water. They want to have plumbing. They want to have electricity. They want to have uh, just a, 
a community that are becoming productive members of society. They want to cut the suicide rate, they want to cut the alcoholism rate, they want to destroy historical trauma through this generation and they're using education to do it. So when you look at it, um, all of our issues are not that different across the nation. Is that refreshing or is that frustrating? I am seeing progress in the 21st century. This is what our grandparents dreamed of when our tribes would have this type of voice. And it's happened in South Dakota, it's happened in North Dakota, it's happened in Washington, it's happened here in Alaska. And when I see uh, the economic development opportunities rising, there was never a Marshall Plan for Indian Country ever. Their Marshall Plan basically was to give tribal members welfare, and it was a failed system. They took a proud people and they made them dependent on the government. And now I'm seeing tribes becoming the largest employers in their county, if not the largest in the top five. And I'm seeing uh, tribes putting their kids to school. Uh, tribes are providing scholarships to their kids. And so I'm seeing uh, just uh, great success happening in the 21st century. There are still tribes that are still struggling, uh, but uh, I'm seeing a lot of success stories across the nation. And that was Brian Cladisby, the president of the National Congress of American Indians, who spoke with our producer, Emily Schwing, um, about this connection that we have. And something that struck out to me was that he was saying this unity, the work that's being done is something that tribes have dreamed about. So it's something that ancestors, you know, making your ancestors proud, it's something when you talk to tribal leaders, um, community members, advocates, whatever area they're working in, is they're always looking to the future. There's always this thought of improving and bettering the lives for future generations. Uh, Michiana, your thoughts on that? I'm just really encouraged when I listen to President Cladisby speak. Um, you know, as he pointed out, the history that we've been through as Native Americans, you can look at and you can say that it's a really sad history and it's been an uphill struggle from the time of Columbus. But what you can also say about it is that we are very <laughs> persistent people, we persevere, and that we're resilient. And to me, that's something to be absolutely proud of and to stand on and to look towards the future and what we want to see because. We don't even know what we're capable of. And Greg, what were you taught about learning from your ancestors and making sure, um, you know, whatever you're doing is preparing for future generations? You know, I was really taught to respect a lot of uh, what our elders uh, stood for. You know, when we were supposed to just uh, kind of where I come from and where I came from and was growing up in is you kind of, watch and learn and you you really didn't speak out unless you were spoken to and I think that's changing and I think honestly personally I think that's a little bit about the progress that Brian spoke of is that um, you know and maybe that's why we saw or heard the 11 year old girl speaking as a keynote is that you know people were recognizing that uh, telling us young folks not to speak unless spoken to isn't working out um, I think Brian touched on a lot of great uh, topics there in his in his talk and um one of the things that stuck out is you know when i'm traveling around the nation as well as if you're from a reservation down south or if you're up here in alaska in the villages it's really important for our young people from around the nation to connect together too because they can tell their stories and like you mentioned before they could tell how they made progress they could say well we saw this problem and then we identified this way to make a solution um 
I think uh, I'll tell you a quick, quick, quick story. Uh, there was a group of youth out in Washington, D.C. that I got to spend some time with from Alaska, from pretty rural parts of Alaska, and they were there for a, a function where they were learning community development uh, so they could bo- go back home and kind of introduce these thoughts and how to how to work on problems in their own communities. And just seeing them interact with folks or young people from around the nation was just so motivating because you could tell people's eyes were just opening up. This is how you live. This is where you live. This is your issues. We have that too. Like, let's stay in touch, social media, keep together, and let's solve this together. So it's just opening up their whole view of the world. And Michiana, for you, how do you find a balance working with seasoned leaders? Greg had mentioned, you know, the thought of only, you know, speak when you're when you're asked to. But but where where do you find a balance in that? Is that um, as Native people, we are taught to be respectful and respect our elders, and um, we are seeing a lot of um, young people um, getting a platform. A key, one of the speakers yesterday is an is a emerging leader, and she was up there speaking in front of this crowd. Um, so where where do you find that balance? Like when you go back home after your time here and the leadership wants to meet with you and listen to your ideas and what you learned, what, how do you find balance? Well, it's kind of interesting to find balance. Um, with my own tribal council, they often comment that I'm too quiet. So I, like Greg, I was raised to be <laughs> quiet and less spoken to. So it is a changing culture in that regard. And I I find it encouraging that they are asking me to speak more and more because that's empowering. And I, although I speak, I don't speak as often as they like when I do speak, I remind them that I am watching and learning and that I might not have too much to contribute at this point. But when I get into their shoes, I will have plenty to go off of because of their example. So I like to hold them accountable to (laughs) what they're teaching me in that way. And Greg, your thoughts on finding a balance? I think uh, I talked about this a little early on is the courage, is just finding the courage to get out there and speak and knowing when you're supposed to listen and when you're supposed to actually stand up for what you're thinking and what you're believing in or feeling in your heart. And knowing when and where to do that is part of the battle. (laughs) I mean, I think uh, I identify with you. Uh, Sometimes it's challenging for me, even at my, uh, you know, mid-30s to stand up and talk in front of a big group and I think it's uh, part of part of the upbringing but then you see the need and you see the the roles opening up for you to step into uh so just uh knowing times and places and and knowing that you're allowed to do that and uh Michiana um were there any kind of going through these different programs? Was there any kind of advice they gave you when you when you are going to speak to either a tribal leader or a big group or even just you know something as as uh, as everyday as going to find a job or how you present yourself? Did were, did you learn any lessons about presenting yourself? I actually heard something the other day at one of our meetings that really struck me, and it was a young leader. He was about my age, and he said. I was taught to speak so that you can hear so that you can hear me even when I'm not there. And to me that encompasses it all. You're you're supposed to be careful with your words because especially in a position like being the youth board representative for my tribe, I'm not speaking just for myself. I'm representing my family, I'm representing my tribe, I'm representing my council. So 
I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is to be careful with your words. I have, you know, just to add to that a little bit is, uh, you know, in my in my world, I have to talk with a lot of people, and some of them are, you know, high power individuals or business owner, or whatever. And understanding that, you know, things like eye contact, your body language, and trying to relearn things that I was kind of taught. You know, we didn't make a lot of eye contact when we were younger. You you look away a little bit, and trying to reteach myself and feel okay in my body when I'm looking at this maybe high powered or whatever individual looking him in the eye and, and being able to talk and stand up straight and be grounded and put, you know, my feet are on the ground and I'm on the same level as you. So uh, changing, kind of relearning yourself to adapt to be an individual that's able to walk into a room, present something of your own ideas. Uh, I think there's a lot of balance there that you don't want to forget why you were taught these things when you were young and why it's important to keep hearing the voices of your elders from when you were young. But you also need to be able to participate here in what's happening now and be a part of it. And how do you incorporate tradition, whether it's, uh, you know, traditional language, uh, uh, traditional clothing? Um, how do you incorporate that with the professional Western business world? You know, <laughs> one thing I was really excited about, about coming back to Alaska is just getting out in the woods where I feel, you know, and even just going out for a hike and spending some time hunting or fishing or whatever and spending some time in the woods is just so refilling for my soul, for who I am. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I have these slippers that I wear, uh, beaded, state of Alaska flag on them that I wear all the time. And uh, I'm happy to show them off in these business meetings. But I do tell folks that, you know, I'm not afraid to go to a village, sleep in on the floor in the tribal hall, because... I have to, and I have to be there with people, and I have to, uh, you know, just be connected. But I'm also not afraid to go into, you know, a boardroom and, and speak my voice. And Michiana, did you have anything to add? Um, well, one of the things that I really like about coming to these kinds of meetings is that you get to see the integration of the Western business culture with our traditional cultures. You see people walking around in their traditional wear. You hear people speaking their languages. And I, I love that that collision there. I think it's it's very emblematic of where we are in the world today. And we can walk in both worlds. And part of also um, talking about culture and looking at culture is uh, the the connection you had mentioned earlier in the show is the connection to the land, which also is an opportunity to provide economic development for people, um, some people who, you know, to help uh, pay their bills. And so we talked to um, somebody outside who um, her and her husband had set up some tables. And, you know, when you come here, everybody's you know, excited to be seeing their friends and families and for people who don't live here, maybe out of working out of state, they also are excited to enjoy their traditional foods. We've done well. We don't, we don't really keep track of our expenses. We normally, we put up um, one set of fish and everything for our family and we split all that. And then whatever's left over um, from that, we sell and then we put up with our daughter, and uh, then she she sells so so much, and we sell so much, and then they um, 
but it's all processed in the village first, and we have family that we split it up with. You and how know. much does it cost for you to get from Ch um, Chignik Lagoon out here to Fairbanks to be able to do this? So we just came up three weeks ago, and uh, we came up with our boat from Chignik to Homer. And we normally, if you fly, it's um, $650 per person one way to Anchorage, and then whatever it costs to get here. So we we drove we went to uh, this year we went to took our boat to Homer, and then we um, drove up to Big Lake and then drove here. So, so we don't um, I don't really know the cost because the boat you know you're, you're you have to pay for the insurance you have to pay for the, the fuel and everything. So um, I'm just trying to get a sense of whether selling uh, the food that you're selling um, covers your expenses for the travel and then you're saying your winter expenses. So oh, I guess it, it probably don't. Yeah. Um, some years it maybe does, but I don't think it does. It doesn't cover our, um, the time that you put into this and you have to watch it just like a baby. The weather gets bad. You have to be able to be there to keep your fish dry. You know, make sure your smokehouse don't blow down. Make sure the bears ain't there every night. It, you do a lot, um, you know, it's a lot of work, and the older you get, the tougher it is. Yes. <laughs> so. And that was uh, Laura Stefanoff, who was uh, out here this week selling some fish strips for um, people to enjoy, but also because it's part of how she, you know, survives um, paying her bills. And a lot of the talks that we hear about is living off the land, but also adapting to the changing world around you and including keeping your traditions and cultures. So this aspect of economic development um, and the cost of things here in Alaska. Um, Greg, your thoughts on um, what Laura was sharing? Well, I don't think it's an uncommon thing. I mean, I, I think, uh, geez, around the state of Alaska, we all over the place, if you're southeast or up north or here in Fairbanks is the high cost of energy and people really do what they have to do. Uh, sometimes they, uh, I think it was noted on the stage earlier, is you're either paying for food, heating oil, maybe formula for your baby. You really have to make those tough choices. And I think, you know, uh, she talked a lot about the cost for travel around Alaska. And it can't be understated. It's, I mean, $650 one way to Anchorage alone and then you know, we're here 357 miles up north from there. So just traveling around our vast states, it's a picture that a lot of people outside don't really realize. Um, you know, I, I totally identify with her about how important the food is. Uh, I had, you know, living in all the way east coast, I had an uncle come out who brought me some frozen moose and salmon. I was just so thankful. I posted a picture on Facebook and you meant everybody was like, good for you, <laughs> got some, you know, food from home. It's just, it's so important to Alaskans, to Alaskan natives to have our food. And uh, your thoughts? Um, I think that, that she managed to come up here and endure those costs just to sell that to the convention here is amazing because that speaks to who we are as Native people to want to give that to everybody here because I don't live in Alaska anymore. So to walk up and see those tables full of fish, it was like, I'm home. You know, it's, it's a really huge deal. And 
like you were saying, you know, we hoard those things when we get them and we just savor them because it is a piece of who we are. And it's so important to keep that going and to find that balance between economic development and carrying on our traditions is really tough, especially when you have things like the oil industry here in Alaska. Do you take that job with the pipeline or do you carry on with these other traditional ways of life? You know, it, you have to feed your family, so you have to make a choice. And that also is a part of, um, you know, moving away and working for a while out of state. How does that um, impact you personally? Um, moving out of state to work was a tough choice um, because you do miss home. You do miss, miss your culture. And it's a choice that a lot of people have to make. You know, when I was going to high school and I would tell people that the only way you could get to my hometown is by boat or by plane, they, they almost didn't understand how that could possibly work. So, you know, just having connections to places like this, having people like uh, President Cladis B and the chief of the Yakima Nation come and maybe get a glimpse of how our life goes on here in Alaska is a big deal because they might have some input from Washington to help us out so and Greg um, your what would be your advice to young people who are emerging leaders maybe they're already in leadership roles and like you said you're you're in DC working what is your advice to them um, when they're looking at their future careers mm -hmm. don't be afraid to go outside and learn and come back and you know whatever you learned really apply it to home but at the same time when you're out there working learning always know that where you came from where you're you know where you're coming from where you're going and uh, know that you're kind of always uh, bettering yourself to bring it back home because we hope they come home. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah. that's the the common thread around tribal nations across the United States is um, you hear a lot from tribal leaders, educators, that you know it, it's great to have a variety, a whole aspect of um, of growing and getting an education, a Western education, learning your traditions, learning your language, learning your culture, embracing everything, so that someday you can come back home and help your community out. I had a, a local leader here one time. I I was out in a room. I noticed he was watching me, and I said, man, that makes me kind of nervous. But then he weighs me over, and he just said really short sentence. He said, hey, I'm proud of you, but don't forget where you came from. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Michiana? Um, I think, you know, that really encompasses what we're talking about, bring it back home. Uh listening to some of the elders speak about their experience at boarding schools it's heartbreaking because a lot of them weren't able to come back home or they had to choose between their western world and their traditional knowledge and i think now you're really seeing a combination of those coming together because having both of those pieces it puts you so far ahead of the game and it gives you a whole different worldview to where you can contribute to either world in a great way and um, earlier in the show, we had touched upon healthy communities, healthy families by making sure, you know, that work being done is c in communities is also about creating and building relationships and family and going back to traditional cultural values. And uh, there's a lot of meetings, a lot of consultations, a lot of um, people gathered this week to address certain issues. I mean, you have everything from 
um, hunting, fishing, you have education, you have health care, um, but there's also a lot of social issues that people get together and talk about. And this week um, they had a, a, a a meeting, uh, it was called Unity, and they were focusing on and addressing stopping and ending domestic violence. I'm Tammy Truett Giroux, and I'm the Executive Director for the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center. Since Alaska has 229 tribes in Alaska, the Resource Center has been formed by grassroots efforts by many advocates that have been doing this kind of work in the state for a long time to be able to um, help tribes in their understanding and or other kinds of issues that they might have with domestic violence, sexual assault, you know, the national and international and even local policy and laws. And so that's our main goal is to help facilitate the tribe's ability to make the changes or or do the things that they need to do to protect their citizens. Many of our communities are so remote that they don't have access to basic services such as 911 services and or even law enforcement. Because law enforcement either has to fly in or or even medical care, even though most villages have um, what they consider community health aides, which are paraprofessional um, health providers. Um, but if there's any catastrophic times of medical, most of the time they have to go to different centers like um, hub communities, which would be like Bethel or Nome or Fairbanks or Anchorage or whatever the case may be, um, that they need to go and um, get those services there. Most communities most communities in rural Alaska do not have uh, any kind of advocacy services, no domestic violence shelters. There's only one native shelter that's or, uh, village-based that's in Imonic. There are shelters through the Council on Domestic Violence through the state, but again, most of those are... Uh, located in hub communities like Bethel, Nome, Fairbanks, Anchorage, Juneau. There's a lot of different communities that they're located in, and so people have to fly out of their communities and leave their homes to get safe. Uh, many times transportation is an issue. Transportation cost in rural Alaska to our tribal communities is ex- extremely high. Um, that can prevent people if there's an event that creates a situation where um, a family or a woman and their children or have to get to safety or a victim of sexual assault have to get to safety, there's uh, oftentimes the cost is so catastrophic there's no, no way to do that. We have to rely a lot of times on local government, whether that's tribal, a lot of times tribal governments, to respond to these types of events. Again, just because there's lack of resources, whether that's a lack of a state trooper or a lack of a police officer or a lack of the ability to respond. Um, And so we're trying to help tribal communities to figure out the best way for them to make change at their level. And we're doing that through some curriculum work, indigenous curriculum work, and that is, you know, using the whole idea of voices and languages, teachings of our own communities to help strengthen what we've always known in terms of changing and facilitating change at the local level for our citizens. And so when we look at these different types of issues that tribal leaders, advocates, um, officials are working on to help better native communities 
it's hard. Like some of these issues, they're hard to talk about. They're hard to address. And mm -hmm. when it comes to domestic violence, you hear advocates saying that a lot of it is stemming from substance abuse. Um, and how do we talk about these issues? And then how do we address them? And how do we help tribes, you know, uh, uh, tackle these things? I think talking about it is one of the number one things we need to encourage. And I know there's a lot of villages out there, a lot in my region that are standing up to people that are importing alcohol or doing other things that they just need, they stand up and say enough is enough. No, I don't remember the exact community, but there was a group of kids not long ago that from the high school, I think it was the majority of the high school started making signs, did a march through town saying enough is enough. We don't want to see these adults doing these things anymore. Um, I think we need to do a really better job about, you know, looking at people who might be experiencing, you know, high um, drug substance abuse problems and, and figuring out how we can heal them, help them get better. Because it does start a lot of other programs or problems that you mentioned, uh, domestic violence and uh, suicide and, and crime, violent crime. Uh, personally, growing up in Fairbanks, I mean, we did have local law enforcement. However, it didn't stop me from seeing and growing up and seeing a lot of domestic violence in my own community, uh, violent crime in my own community. Uh, and, you know, as a young person, I didn't feel like I could stand up and call somebody and tell them, this is going on, you know, this needs to stop. So really, there we go back to empowering the young people to say, I'm seeing this. This is in my home. I'm empowered to call somebody and do something about it. You know, so uh, I think that's, uh, we have a lot of leaders, young leaders, that are really stepping into those roles. And I just hope that that's part of the progress, you know, we talked about uh, that we can continue on. So. And well, we're already running out of time today, um, but I just <laughs> want to thank you. And uh, Michiana, your um, advice to young people. Um, get out there, get involved, uh, whatever your area of interest is, you know, strive to be the best in it and just keep working. Find a mentor. I think that's something we don't do enough of is mentoring our young people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So find a mentor. All right, great. Well, thank you both for joining me today here on Alaska's Native Voice. Um, we are at the Carlson Center, and happy AFN. Uh, thank you for tuning in, um, and also thank you to our producer, Emily Schwing, and our board operator, Lauren Dixon. Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez and Emily Schwing. Funding provided by Chalista Corporation, the Atwood Foundation, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, the Siri Foundation, Manilik Association, ConocoPhillips, Rasmussen Foundation, and South Central Foundation. This has been a production of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.